This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Defined by grace, 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 community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Good evening, Icon family. Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday is this time that's been observed by countless Christians over the centuries as this evening to reflect upon and meditate about Jesus's time leading up to his crucifixion. This word Maundy comes from the Latin word for commandment, which this comes from Jesus washing his disciples' feet and taking this posture as a servant and then giving them this new command from John 13, 34. Love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So often this evening, we focus on that portion of the narrative, as well as Jesus instituting the Last Supper. But tonight, we are going to venture into a different portion of the story. And instead, we are going to try to enter into the space with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is in the garden that we see Jesus as this very emotional savior. We see him feeling deeply as he is pressed in mentally and emotionally by what is laid before him. So tonight, as we're in this time and space where we are really feeling pressed in emotionally and mentally, we are going to see a savior who feels those same things and we're gonna join with him in that. We are in this phase of spending a lot of time mourning and lamenting, but it really is right and fitting for us to go into this heavy space as we look forward to this other side that we will celebrate with the resurrection on Sunday. You cannot embrace the resurrection without embracing the cross, and that includes embracing Jesus's path and his intention as he goes to the cross. This is a reminder for us that the gospel is a truth that is strong enough to encompass grief and loss and separation, and that there is this almost need to go through suffering to get through to the victory on the other side, and to get to the depth and the scope of the impact of our Savior's victory and what that means for us today. We have to take a moment to sit in the heartache. To get through to the healing, we go through the pain, and our freedom and our praise on the other side doesn't negate the fact that there is mourning and lament, but the one is almost necessary for the other. For we have a God who is a God over every single part of this transformational cycle. He is God where there is praise that follows lament, just as for Jesus, victory will follow death. I do want to note before we get into the text that at the end of this, we will be taking communion together for those who would choose to do so. So if you don't have elements before you, wine or juice, crackers or bread, this would be a good point to maybe pause quick and go to get those things. Our text tonight will be Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. So at this portion of the the story, this narrative, 
Jesus has already taken that posture of a servant, shocked his disciples by washing their feet. He has already instituted the Last Supper, broken the bread as his body, offered the cup as his blood. And at this point, Jesus enters into the garden. Jesus has known all of his 33 years that it would come to this. This is the reason he was sent, the reason that he was born, all of it building up to this time. This would not just be a time of his suffering, not just a remedy for the problem of sin and evil, but this is a moment that will be kind of the epicenter of history, this turning point, this event that when all things are moving towards death and destruction, that death and evil themselves will be made a fool of, be turned on their heads. History will now change to be moving toward a time when all will be restored and made new. This is a monumental task in which all creation hinges. So it requires a monumental and significant action on the part of Jesus. A perfect, clean, innocent sacrifice that would absorb all the evils and sin and darkness that ever was and ever would be. A sacrifice that had never been offered before and because it is the right one, it will never be needed again. This is a monumental task laid before Jesus on that night. He had known it was coming, hanging over him as he helped the lame to walk, hanging over him as he checked the religious leaders for their hypocrisy, as he reached out to the unlovable and those on the margins, hanging over him as he chose losers to be his friends, as he taught this new radical way of being, and as he said, go and sin no more. Every moment there, and now the moment is almost here and what this will require of him takes on a weight that's so heavy he can hardly bear it. What this will cost him, what he must walk through physically, mentally, and emotionally presses in so hard on that night that all he can do is go to seek the one who is the author of this plan, to plea with him, to see if there is any other way as sorrow and anxiety and fear tempt his mind and his resolve. So it is here we see Jesus in Luke 22, verses 39 through 40. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. So Jesus right now is in this space that no other human has ever been in before or ever will be again. What he is experiencing on this night is a burden far heavier than anyone else will ever need to carry. And it is in this that Jesus goes to seek solitude with the Father, and yet he keeps his friends close. He really is alone in what he's facing. Only he can do this. And yet he keeps his people close to him. And he pleads with them, do not give in to temptation. What is this temptation? Well, what temptation is Jesus currently facing? And what temptation does he know that they will be facing soon as well? This isn't just a, we had a lot of wine and a big meal and we can hardly stay awake. This is a, 
Do not give in to doubting that this is the right course. Do not give in to your fears. Do not run away. Do not forget to trust God's plan. Because Jesus knows, because he's feeling it himself, that not running, not doubting, not trusting, it is going to absolutely require a spiritual power and reinforcement, or it's not going to happen. The way our fears and our worries and our concerns consume us cannot be successfully warded off on our own strength. And thanks be to God, he doesn't require that of us. He doesn't ask us to do that. He never says you need to fight those things on your own. He knows better than we do that we can't have victory over them without him. So prayer here, commanded by Jesus for his people, is this weapon. Our humility in our need for him and us going to him when we need strength, that's where our weakness is meeting his power. Power is this weapon that Jesus tells them to use and the means that he will use. When he is faced with this decision to say yes or no to what God has laid before them. This is the only means available to provide the courage they need to step into obeying his will. Prayer is this weapon in the darkest of hours for the strengthening of the weakness of the human spirit. When God says, I am going to do something far greater than you can understand, but I need you to jump. Prayer is this weapon that when trusting seems impossible, we still have to get through to the other side. And it requires a risky obedience on our part. Pray that you may not fall into temptation. Pray that when the enemy comes, you will not shrink or fall back. Pray that when your fears are consuming you, that you will not lose hope. Pray that when you want to self-protect and abandon others to preserve yourself, that you instead still take the risk and trust God. Pray that when your anxiety is building so much that you can hardly breathe, that you remember who you belong to. Pray that when worry is dictating how you plan and live, that you remember you have an identity that is rooted in the fact that you bear the very image of God. And that is something that doesn't just mean you reflect him, that gives you a status and an access. So pray that you will not fall into temptation. With this encouragement, Jesus goes off to pray. Verse 41 says, Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. This internal struggle and anguish that Jesus is experiencing is so heavy and unbearable that his physical body oozes blood from its pores, his body responding to the cruelty and the trauma of what he is about to walk into. 
what he is about to take on for us and for the life of the world. This phrasing in the Greek of this anguish and agony he is in is this having become in an agony. So it's this concept that as time approaches, the intensity of what this is doing to Jesus's mind and his emotions and his body is increasing. Jesus is experiencing building anxiety and sheer fear. As Jesus is wrestling in prayer with his father about what is coming, his sorrow and his grief at the inevitable is increasing. And he asks God, will you take this from me? Is there any other way? Must I go through this? This is too much. Every time that you are asking our Savior to release you from something that feels unbearable for you to hold, you are echoing our Savior. Our mediator between us and God is this man of sorrows. He is well acquainted with any depth of grief we could ever possibly go through. No one understands more than Jesus what you are experiencing and feeling in your fear and your mourning and your dread. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. What does this cup contain? What exactly is planned here? What is approaching that puts our Savior in such a state on that night? Death, yes. Suffering, yes. Jesus knew full well the butchering of the body that crucifixion was. But before him also lies betrayal, abandonment, injustice, separation, and trauma. And he must let it all happen to him without fighting back, without speaking a word against it. So as he is anguishing in the garden, yes, as for this physical brutality he's about to walk into, it is also for the incomprehensible weight that will be put on him when he has done no wrong himself. But it's also because the father, the one who loves him, will go silent. He won't answer when Jesus calls for it to stop. He will be separated from God. Jesus is about to step into the darkest isolation possible. The entire weight of all that has ever infected this world will be placed on him. Every unspeakable evil, every sin that you have committed, that you've committed today and will commit tomorrow, that's about to be put on him. And as he who knew no sin becomes sin for us, a holy and righteous God must turn his back. The father won't answer when his son calls. Jesus will be slaughtered for all that has made our world dark, and he must be completely and utterly alone. Jesus' anguish is also here for the separation that will come from God when poured out on him is all of our selfishness, idolatry, lust, anger, racism, greed, pride, misogyny, gluttony, hoarding, jealousy, hatred, our abuse, our judgment of one another, our in action, when there are times we are supposed to step in, in his own body, he will absorb all of those things, taking the death and punishment that should come to us and to the world. 
So now we don't have to be punished. So now death will not be final for us so that we now will not have to ever endure the darkness of separation and isolation from God. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There is no greater trust in God's plan, in God's goodness, in God's love, that when facing such fear and pain and darkness, you say to God, still, nevertheless, your will be done. This requires faith. This requires a preaching of truth over and over again to ourselves, an anchoring of our hope again and again. This is a proclamation, a speaking of light into darkness. God, I see this much coming and it looks awful, but you see all. So your will be done. I'm consumed by my fear and my worry, but I know somehow you hold it all so your will be done. I can't see an end to the upheaval and the heartache, but I know somehow you work it for good, so your will be done. I can't see through to the other side because it seems too dark, but somehow you are light and life, so your will be done. This is a taking captive of the fear consuming the mind and asking God to instead do this miracle of bringing that truth to your heart. Jesus submits to the sovereign plan of God, even though it means he must walk into this void. This is a mind-boggling trust, not just in the fact that God has a plan, but in the fact that his God loves him. His father created is the very definition of love and justice, So he trusts he would not put him through this if it is not just and if it is not love, even if that might not be felt until the other side. God's love is why we can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you are with me, even when it's hard for us to see him there. What Jesus is stepping into is so brutal. The only way he can do it is if it is God's good and loving will. And because it is God's will, that is the thing that perfectly prepares him to take it, to drink the cup. Somehow in God's goodness, his will does prepare us for what he has laid before his children. And for the life of the world, and because of his love for the world, God is going to do what is necessary in order to break the hold of darkness. And he's going to do it in this way with Jesus that repairs the brokenness between him and his image bearers. So that we can be the ones doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with him. Jesus's surrender to God's plan in the face of such anguish and anxiety and fear is directly connected to our ability to be made new and be empowered by his spirit. So church, this is what gives us what we need today to live in freedom while in isolation, to be able to push back the darkness while we're quarantining, and to have a savior, savior who is right there with us, sympathizing with you and your fears and your anxieties while you're sheltering in place, 
This is what it is for us right now to be pressed but not crushed, to maybe feel struck down but to not be destroyed. This weight of Jesus's anguish in the garden is because of the monumental cost of his sacrifice in his life. But that also means the weight of what he accomplished is more than we can comprehend. Jesus's unwillingness to run away or not trust God when there was so much suffering in his path, that turned death backwards, that broke chains, that crushed the enemy, his works and effects. It means evil can never have the final say. It heals wounds, it repairs, it sets free, it gives hope, it restores relationship, and it ushers in a way for us to demonstrate and be justice and peace and freedom in this space. A monumental yes to God's will while being pressed with such anguish accomplished more than we can understand. It is what our lives hinge upon today. It's what made the kingdom come here and it's what makes us able to be a part of that kingdom work. And as we live in this space still for a while where there is fear and suffering and sickness and corruption, as we live in this space where it is feeling like nothing is certain, everything is shifting day by day. Friends, we do have an assurance that is secured for us. And it is a resistance against the darkness for us to each day say, God, help what you have already secured for me. Be my hope today. Help it be the rhythm of my life in the midst of what we are going through right now. Part of that assurance for us is that nothing can ever separate us from him again. Only sin could do that, and Jesus got the job done. Christ stepped into the darkness and the void of separation with the Father so that nothing can ever separate us from God. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor virus, nor grief, nor job loss, nor president, nor uncertainty, nor height, nor depth can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to your son and to us, your church. Father, I thank you for a hope and a certainty that we are able to have access to, to be able to ask you for in the midst of the time when it is difficult to feel hope in any certainty. Father, I thank you that We are not required to garner assurance on our own strength, but that you are there always for us to go to, to ask for that help. And so I pray, Father, as we reflect upon what it is you did for us on the cross, that you would be providing an extra measure of hope and strength that we need tonight. Father, um, we love you and we believe and trust you. 
but please help us, Father, where we are struggling to believe and trust you. We thank you for a Savior who can sympathize with us in our struggles. We thank you for a Savior who also cannot be held by the grave and for whom has already secured a victory for us. In your name we pray. Amen. So now as we move into a time of communion, um, Rachel Held Evans once wrote, Sometimes just showing up to the communion table is a way of looking into the eyes of the beast and saying, not today. So as we prepare to take part in communion together, in a time when fear and uncertainty and doubt and suffering and worry and loss kind of feel real and fresh to us in some different ways, we come to take communion partially as this act of surrender to God and what he has done and us belonging to him, but it is also this act of resistance in a way. Will worry rule over me? Will fear have a final say? Will the brokenness in this world take me down? Not today. Not today those things can rule over us because Jesus, Jesus' obedience, his crushed body, his shed blood, purchased our ability to say, none of those things can ever rule over me. None of those things can have a hold on me. None of those things can ever separate me from him because he put them to death. And he opened back up our ability to have this closeness, this security of us always having God with us, just as was intended back at creation when he was walking in the garden with us. If Jesus is your hope and trust in that, then you are invited, if you have the elements before you, to join in taking communion. If this is not where your hope is, we are grateful and glad that you are engaged with us in this, but we do ask that you just allow this particular time to pass. On the night before Jesus went to the garden, as he was at the table with his disciples, the night when he was betrayed and handed over, Jesus took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took up the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Church, this is something that we repeat until he returns, something we need to remember until he returns. So if Jesus is your hope, please take with me. The body broken for you, his blood shed for you. In closing, I'm going to read a prayer for us. I would suggest that you get into a space where you can be comfortable, to be still, maybe close your eyes, and just allow these words to be absorbed as we end our time together. My Father, enlarge my heart 
warm my affections, open my lips, supply words that proclaim love radiates at Calvary. Their grace removes my burdens and heaps them on your son, made a transgressor, a curse, and a sin for me. They're the sword of your justice, smote the man. There your infinite attributes were magnified and infinite punishment was endured. Christ became all anguish that I might be all joy, was cast off that I might be brought in, was trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst, that I might attain heaven's best. He was stripped, that I might be clothed. Wounded, that I might be healed. A thirst, that I might drink. Tormented, that I might be comforted. Made a shame, that I might inherit glory. Entered darkness, that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes, groaned that I might have endless song, endured all pain that I might have unfading health, bore a thorny crown that I might have a glory diadem, bowed his head that I might uplift mine, experienced reproach that I might receive welcome closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness, expired that I might forever live. O Father, who spared not your only Son so that you can spare me, all of this transfer your love designed and accomplished, help me to adore you by lips and life that my every breath might be ecstatic praise, my every step buoyant with delight. As I see my enemies crushed, Satan baffled, defeated, and destroyed, sin buried in the ocean of reconciling blood, hell's gates closed, heaven's gates open. Go forth, O conquering God, and show us the cross, mighty to subdue, comfort, and save. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.